So here we go. This uh, this is it. We are recording. This is episode 260 of No Laugh Track Podcast. We're here at Acme Comedy Company in Minneapolis. Uh, my name is Justin Severson. Thank you, Circle of Heat, for letting us play your music there at the beginning. I uh, got a first-time guest here this week. I get real excited about that, and I'm even more excited because I came to the show last night. I've been doing some research on this guy. I have Moses Storm is here with me. Hey. I have... I have so many questions for you. That's great. That's we, great to hear. We I, have, I got nothing for you. Oh, besides like, that was a it was a horrible show last night. But this is the that's the it's a great answer. It was not a horrible questions. show last night. You don't mean that? No, I don't. I mean, I had such a great time. It almost I feel like I would be a worse comedian if I only played in this club. Oh, because interesting. It's so nice, and I think I was telling you just before we hit record. I, I on the flight over here i watched the most depressing documentary about stand-up called dying laughing yeah which i want to like see hell gigs and then immediately walk into a very nice hotel that uh, acme puts you up in and then one of the warmest crowds and uh, it's great because i'm trying to build a new hour right now okay so it's very like fat in some places where especially for my style of stand-up where it's all like you saw the show last night where mm-hmm. it's like storytelling yes where it starts with a story, and then there's jokes in the story, and it tries to follow one thread. Yeah. In the process of putting that together, you have these long, like, five-minute... It, it feels like in your head as a stand-up, these five-minute, like, oof gaps, where it's just like... Oh, okay. Because I think if you're doing, like, a showcase set, it's like, you know, laugh every 15 seconds. It's like what your your body is used to as a, as a rhythm. Yeah, yeah. But when you're putting together that new story joke which are usually about like 10 minutes, there's all these gaps that you just can't be like, ugh, just need a, need a laugh. I'm, uh, you're, like, so you're saying you're putting together a new hour. Mm-hmm. Your style is storytelling. Yeah. Uh, and from what I gathered, I mean, I don't know how true these stories are. They seem pretty true. They are true. Especially from the all the other stuff I've watched on you, on YouTube and everything. Like, yeah. I'm p- piecing all this stuff together. Like, your background is fascinating man and uh so i believe most of the stuff i'm hearing are you are you pulling out story like uh can you pull out a story now that you just like where did that you know it's been in the back of your head for 15 years 10 years like how, how do they get to the top how do they get to the top uh every story has to have like a strong main event uh one big big event if you just go through like the story structure of what just storytelling is outside of stand-up um it's 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 like consequences or something to be lost the character uh wants something and it's it's usually in conflict with something else so if if the story has a main event then for me it's worth it to then build out the story with jokes and and um hopefully by the end of that it is um it's it's ready to go but a lot of the times you'll think you have a strong main event and then it's just it's not there and you man you feel it you feel it because it, also it's like 10 minutes of time and if it doesn't lead to something big, it's just oof. Or if you're stuck in it, even worse, you're midway through and you're like, they're not into this at all. <laughs> this is about four minutes. I just want to bail on this. Which audiences see that? They're not. I didn't see that last night. No, not last night. And that just goes back to like what a great audience Acme has, and like what a great thing that Lewis has done with the club, and. People are used to seeing good comedy, and it feels like everyone's comedy fans. Yeah. As opposed to other towns I'll go to where 
I don't know. It's very much people's just like bachelorette party, a thing to do, or just a, a place to drink, an excuse to drink, and you're just kind of like background noise. Mm -hmm. But this, everyone's very attentive. And um, if a joke doesn't work here in this room, that's the worst joke you've ever written. <laughs> yeah, it's, you should never say that again. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Are you now? You mentioned Lewis, so you um, you're familiar with yeah Lewis. Have you been here before? No, I haven't been here before. Um, sometimes I'll have c comics here, and, I, and we'll be like at the bar before recording, and they'll like, "Is that is that the owner? Is that him? Is that him?" No. And they don't really know. I met Lewis last story. night because okay. uh, my friends uh, Moshe Kasher and, and Natasha Legero yeah. were doing a show in town, and then I just went up over there to open up for them. I heard about that. Yeah, so I guess Lewis is also putting on that event. Yes. And it's like an action-sponsored thing, so mm -hmm. I get to meet him over there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Like 10 minutes at the competing show. Yes, I got here today, and uh, Brandon, working in the bar today, was like, oh, yeah. I, he goes, because I told him I was coming to the show last night. And he goes, oh, did uh, did you make it? I said, I did. He goes, yeah, I saw Moses last night, too. I said, where? Yeah. Oh, he opened at the other show. Like, what? Right. Really? That's, you're used to doing that in L.A. and New York. You do, you're constantly running to shows. So it doesn't seem like a huge deal. But everyone around me was very worried last night. I bet. I'm like, oh, how's he going to make it? That's, <laughs> that's a whole 12 minutes away. How is he going to make it? But um, It's some like big that. city comedy we're talking here. Yeah, I like it. Because a lot of the times when you're doing stand-up, the audience is the first people you talk to mm -hmm. during the day. So to have a warm-up show like that oh, yeah. just makes you feel even better. For that second one. How long did you... Did, when did they ask you to do that? Oh, like, day of. Really? But that's how things go on the on the coast. It's very little planning. Because, like, there's such a wealth of performers there that you can just send a text day of and be like, Hey, headliner, could you do 10 minutes on this show? No could kidding. 15 minutes. That's interesting. Because, like, yeah. you know, that thing's been getting promoted, you know, pretty heavily for a few oh, yeah. months now. And no, then, it was a great turnout. I'm sure. Too. And then, <laughs> and yeah, then day of, hey, we need an opener. Yeah. And they get you. That's and awesome. Then, yeah. And Moshe just texts me day of and asked me to do it. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Do, uh, where do you live now? Now I'm in Los Angeles. You are in Los Angeles. I've been there for the past eight years now. Okay. And started stand-up out there. You did? Yeah. What was right before stand-up? What were you doing? Uh, I was in high school. <laughs> <laughs> I was immediately in high school. You didn't do both? Come on, man. Didn't do both. No, didn't have any jokes about, like, homework is weird. <laughs> um, no, I, I knew what I wanted to do pretty soon. Uh, or at least knew that I was bad at a lot of other things. I knew that, like, anything academically was not going to pan out for me didn't have the right degrees or anything, so I was like, okay, I know what I want to do. Let's just go for it. Okay. Did you go to college at all? I went to two semesters of a community college, so no. <laughs> it's so barely a school <laughs> that it was it was nothing. And I only went there because it was like a film type of school where like, the focus was like oh. media production because so, I knew I wanted to make like comedy videos. So it was a way to like, here's people with equipment and maybe some friends I could possibly meet to help make some stuff oh okay yeah. <laughs> those two semesters were enough two semesters were enough well it was like no one cared about the school uh and like it was a real mix of of people that were like young people who were about to go to a different school and like v very old people going to community college because it was something to do in the day 
I remember the day that I decided to like drop out and not go anymore. I was going crazy in this like film editing class, and I was just like, it's moving so slow. These people have so many questions. We can't get beyond like oh. how to open up a project. And I look over, and the guy that's asking the most amount of questions, this guy named John, will never forget it. He's like this fifty-two-year-old black guy, and he's eating a he's eating an orange like an apple with the peel on it. <laughs> just. No! Stop it. And he's wincing, too. It's not even like he enjoys it. He, like, can't figure out why this orange is so zesty. And he's just eating it like, and I was like, this is not. <laughs> I, I could learn more with one Google search than right. anything in this room. Yeah, there's a YouTube video that could tell me more. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so then I started making horrible YouTube videos and then was too scared to do stand-up right away. But I knew I wanted to get on stage in front of people, so I started doing improv. Oh, okay, you did. Okay. Yeah. And that's fun, but it's also like, I feel like a lot of improv is almost too warm of an audience. A lot of the laughs you're getting in improv is because like, look at these two adults that are just cooperating and being silly. And it's hard to, um, outside of like acting and maybe coming up with sketch ideas, it's hard to really bottle anything in improv. Okay. Like hone the craft. Um, it is its own craft, and there's some incredible improvisers, but it, there is a, a very immediate ceiling with improv. There's yeah. only so far you can go. I suppose to something like stand-up where you can, I don't know, really develop a, a voice in, in comedy and figure out what's funny about you and not just playing some silly character. And there's some truth into it. You can learn things about like storytelling, structure, and um, I don't know, it's very marketable skill too which is a gross term but <laughs> we are in another stand-up comedy boom right now <laughs> yeah uh CISO is going out of business you see that yeah that, that's like the coming. first negative uh you know people say it's a boom now and yeah i mean comedy's huge right now that is the first like oh i think that has to do good. more with the business model of CISO. so the second comedy boom is happening right now thanks to a lot of these uh subscriber-based streaming services mm-hmm uh, new specials coming out a day, so it's impossible to keep up. So I, it's like comics are getting more opportunities, and there's also more regular people seeing stand up with these like half finished specials that are just getting put up, and they're like, "Oh, I could do that." So more people ever are going, "I could do that," and that's why this boom's happening. The CISO specifically, I think they're they were a part of NBC, mm-hmm. um, and where maybe could have gone a little bit better is how I think they just ask a lot out of people like you don't know us give me three ninety nine. not a lot of money but if you don't if you've never heard the word CISO before and you're saying like it's already so hard to watch things right now in general just, just to oh, keep up right. if you want to it is exactly mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a wealth of content as they say and um, yeah, so to ask people out of nowhere to one give you money and then watch your shows that they've never heard of is a is a big ask. Yeah, as opposed to Netflix, where they we were going there already because there was DVDs of Inferno, and I wanted to see a more relevant movie. <laughs> I want to see Flubber, the most relevant movie. And then they slowly worked in shows like Lily Hammer, uh-huh. and then House of Cards, and then all these original series. So you were already going there for things you wanted. Yeah. So I think that's that's maybe what these streaming services have to get right is already having a, a platform that people are going and then introducing your own original stuff. Yeah, I like that. Mm-hmm. I will say that I uh, I figured out 
I subscribed to CISO since December three times. In fact, I had two subscriptions going. Like, really? Yeah. At the same time. Because you would just cancel and then you would just sign up again. I signed up back in December so I could watch Lori Kilmartin's special. Yeah. And Adam Newman's. I think that was was on there then. And uh, and then I got it back because Lori was coming back and I wanted to watch it again. I had canceled the subscription after a month. Right. I signed up once through Amazon and then I tried to watch on a different, like on my phone or iPad versus right. my computer. And it couldn't. So anyway, so then I signed in during uh, Apple. So I had to. I just did it. I just canceled yeah. both subscriptions like three days ago. Just canceled. Yeah. It was. I was the same way. I yeah. got it for I think Rory Scovel's special to watch that, and then canceled it, and then got it again to watch Nick Thune's special. Oh, Nick Thune! I watched that one as well. Right? Uh huh. Yeah, I just got up again with his promo code Thune, and then and canceled after. I think that's what a lot of people were doing. Yeah. Uh huh. Maybe where the numbers suffered. Up, we're up, we're down, we're way down, we're yeah. up, we're down. So now everyone's up in the air because they don't know where those specials are going to live. Yeah, who was just here? Someone was just here. They did a, they did a movie that Tony Danza is going to be in called "Here's Johnny." There's Johnny. Yes. Here's Johnny, which is yet to premiere and was supposed was to be a CISO this month. show. Yeah, they're selling it to some other uh, digital company. You also have never heard of before. That's why I'm having trouble blanking on it. I they forgot RV or VR yeah, or something. VR like that. or something. I right. Was looking at I that. feel like if you go to the page, you're going to see Arrow 404. <laughs> but <laughs> they, yeah, they they are selling their shows off now. So hopefully, people will buy some shows there because there's some really good shows on there. I mean, mm-hmm. Bajillion Dollar Properties is really funny. That cool up uh, Vila Sack made. And um, but it's hard for these networks to get on board with shows that they don't feel like they're their babies. Yeah, every network loves to feel like they had a hand in developing it and really because they know their audience is the best. Those networks, so they know how to bring something from its infancy to their screen. So it's hard to already have a show. Yeah, that's already made with you know a set way of making things and resell. But the best of luck to them. I mean, it's it's. A lot of very talented people on there, and CISO did a great thing of giving these people opportunities. But yeah, know. for sure. I just saw you. Uh, I s- you put on social media. There's some movie you did that yeah. just came out. Oh yeah, uh, um, a new Netflix movie called The Wedding Party. Which, so. when you Google that, then there's a whole other movie called The Wedding Party. There's also a mo- with a uh, full black cast. Right. I'm like, I don't see Moses Storm in any of no. these pictures. Couldn't get cast in that one. <laughs> I tried. Um, yeah, there's also another movie called The Wedding Party that came out the same year with the same name. How does that happen? I don't know how that happens. <laughs> I think we've hit the peak entertainment where there's just, everything's got to be, my, I'm, I'm naming my special Game of Thrones. There you go. <laughs> you know, I picked it a long time ago, and then the my show My DVR will pick up on it. That's good. Right. Yeah, it's set to record all Game of Thrones, Kinda so game, good call. You no, know, so I, <laughs> people listening to this, like, watch either, either one. You know, watch our wedding party or the other one. I haven't seen it, the other one, but I would strongly recommend it. It's important to get all the voices out. But that was uh, that was a really interesting movie to shoot because our wedding party um, was shot entirely in one take. That's crazy. With no cheats or cuts. Uh, it was one two-hour take, and if you mess up, then we have to say cut and go back to the beginning. Wow. Mm-hmm. Had you ever done anything like that before? I never done anything like that. The movie I did right before that, Unfriended, the horror movie. Yeah. We shot pretty long takes on that, but it was we knew it was always going to get edited. So if you made a mistake, you could 
kind of re-say something. But just because that uh, Unfriended movie took place in one night, we we as cast members asked the the director if we could do longer takes and, and shoot, you know, like 90 minutes at a time. Okay. Because that it was uniquely shot as well, and that was all t- it takes place on one girl's desktop yeah. computer on a Skype call. Um, yeah, so it was not something I was a stranger to, but it was definitely like, hey, don't mess up, for sure. Don't be 40 minutes into the movie, the wedding party, and then flub your line. But there are some mistakes if you do watch The Wedding Party on Netflix. You've watched the whole thing, the com- I finished did. product? I saw the, at, the, uh, at the screening that they put on for us, and there is like some mistakes. There's one, well, there's one scene in particular. It's pretty deep in the movie. That's why they didn't uh, yell cut. It's, I think it's right in the middle where I come in for this entrance, and I'm supposed to be hiding from uh, this like married woman that I was trying to hook up with. And I'm, I, I slide into the garage to like hide in this spot, and... I guess someone had put like a hand truck, those dollies, yeah. against the wall, and I didn't see that. So I go up against the wall to be like hide, to go flat up against the wall, and I hit my back incredibly oh. hard <laughs> on that pipe. So much so that it takes me out of it, and you could see me break a little bit in that scene. That's the one part that. What's my line? Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> it legitimately it knocked the wind out of me, oh, and no. then the my other cast member broke and then that's what made me made me break is just seeing him laugh that's awesome yeah i i'll admit i never saw um wait what is it called unfriended unfriended, unfriended. Yeah. i never saw that uh but i was looking at some it did really well it did surprisingly well like, whatever what i read a million to make and yeah 65 million a million more? was like if you factor in all the advertising that went into it, but so to actually up. just make the movie, if it just went anywhere, it was less than $100,000. Crazy. It was so cheap, and it was one of those things that when we were making it, we were like, oh, this is never going to come out. This like is, maybe on DVD or something. Maybe. Maybe straight to VRX or wherever yeah, these right. shows are going. <laughs> yeah, straight to Divix Player. Yeah. That's where this <laughs> is going. Straight to Pornhub or YouTube. <laughs> It didn't feel like, yeah, it didn't feel like it was going to come out because it was a mess, and we were, no one had made a movie specifically like that. There had been other, like, desktop movies, but to have that kind of, a horror movie, more or less, in that, at least that I was aware of. Um, so there was no, like, template to go off of. So it was a big learning curve, a lot of failure, a lot of stuff that did not work, and we reshot the movie constantly. Okay. It, over the course of two years, was was that project we didn't work every single day for two years right but uh shot it thought we got it in like the first month then it premiered at this film festival in montreal and then blumhouse saw it jason blum saw it there and was like i want to buy this idea um we do need to reshoot some of the stuff to get it up to par and then went back to reshoot it and then tried a couple different versions to what it is that uh, you see today or not see in your case. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> um, you mean like re- like reshoot an ending or stuff like yeah, that? Yeah, we would reshoot alternate endings. Oh and, wow. Um, yeah, try try different twists and surprise endings and, and and rewrites. There is some of the original. If you watch the movie today, there is some of the very first stuff that we shot in there. Like the first half of the movie is all like uh, stuff we did week one. Oh wow. But then towards the end, that's like maybe two years later. It's this huge like mashup of time and 
Yeah, the whole process. Good thing no one ended up like, uh, you know, Luke Skywalker between Star Wars and Empire. Like, right. A big scar on your face. No one or... got a huge scar on their face. The most is like one of our cast members had grew out his hair. He had like Tarzan length hair. Yeah. And he had to wear a very bad wig then <laughs> to to get it back to a short haircut. Nice. Yeah, and it was such a it was such a cool process to put together because it felt like no one was gonna watch it, so we just had a lot of fun making it. Uh huh. And just experimenting with a lot of things, and I never got the chance to do something that was not funny at all. Up until that point, I just done like very like sitcom stuff or sketch comedy. It was the first thing I, I say nothing funny in the movie. Unfriended. So if you're a fan of my comedy, do not watch that movie. <laughs> but it was yeah, it was like a cool. Challenge. That's the only thing I've seen of yours. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's Why didn't I see it. that last night? You really let me down. Yeah, <laughs> you should have brought it up last night. Oh, so let's say we're if we're judging. I know this isn't you know necessarily the correct way to uh, judge things, but right. like success wise, fi- like if we're just doing it financially, that's the biggest thing. Is would be that movie. Yeah, uh, as far as, like, that's been the biggest help in my career uh, to date Okay. right now. There's some other things that are coming out later this year that, that will probably be bigger and, and help a little bit more. But that was w- when that movie came out, I was able to start doing colleges, okay, uh, performing at colleges, because that was, like, the whole market for that audience was younger people. Yeah. And people in town in L.A., you know, obviously knew about the movie because it, it, it did – it did better than expected, so I was able to get up on more local shows. That led to um, just doing all those local shows in L.A., getting up that that much. By the time I auditioned for New Faces in Montreal, um, I felt really good about stand-up. Okay. I like I'd really found what it is that I do. And then went out to Montreal, did well. And then in Montreal, all the people that book these comedy clubs yeah. that we're in like right now are up there in addition to all the late-night people and everyone you're going to be working for in comedy. And even CISO is up there. <laughs> and uh, Yeah, and, that, and that's how I was able to start headlining clubs. Okay. Is, uh, you know, if you draw it back, it's, it was first that movie. And listen, <laughs> to what you, and listen to, let's go back to what you said before that. You say nothing funny in it, yet it helped your comedy career. It did. It Doesn't, did. It, I mean, it makes sense, but it doesn't make any sense. I think it just gives you validation of if people are just in LA. It's just like anything that is success is 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 respected. Like, well, someone else hired him, and it worked. Right. No one wants to be the first person to hire you. Yeah. It's very rare that you get a, a customato to a, a Tyson type, right? Of just someone like I'll take you on, even though you're horrible now. Yeah. So when other people start hiring you, that's when you get hired. And it's this big catch-22. It's this big paradox where it's like you can't get on shows unless you're already on shows. You can't. Yeah. And it, it, it's, it's always going to be that way. Even for, like, sitcoms and stuff that you, you're going out for, any acting roles, it's like, well, you need to already be successful to get this job that could lead to more success. Yeah. Have so, you done some sitcom stuff? Yeah. I feel like... Uh, co-stars and guest stars and um i was on like a very weird show on hulu for a while that was like sponsored by oh the subway (laughs) subway yeah that's how people refer to it is like the subway thing because it was like these very heavy-handed tie-ins with subway i have never felt more like a corporate show in my life do you eat at subway i i haven't in a while oh i did i was just in montreal last week back at the just Just festival 
and was in between shows because once you get to Montreal, it's like everyone you've ever met in comedy is there. So you're able to get up on multiple shows a night because like, hey, someone fell through because they're too drunk at the Hyatt bar. Or you can open up for someone. You can go all these places. So I was in between shows, and I was just like, everything was in French that I was looking at. And I was like, eh, Subway, that's something I know and kind of trust and won't immediately throw up on stage. So it's been a while since I've eaten at Subway, but I did in Montreal. Okay. It's great. Yeah. I've been doing great things ever at Subway. <laughs> you compliment the artist that made your sandwich? Yes, I definitely made sure to compliment Bro, I artist. know how it is, man. I right. Know I, know, I, know what you, I know what you go through. Yeah, and um, so that's yeah, that was probably the the biggest help, and just being on the road a lot and doing full hours just makes you a better stand up. So when you do go back to LA, you're a little bit more comfortable. Was there anybody uh, that ever like uh, you know an established before you were that took you out on the road? Did you ever go do that? No, no, no. one's ever taken me out. Um, and I'm not saying that's the right way to do things. I'm just no. If curious. someone does that for you, uh, by all means, if you're a comic, you should definitely, definitely do that. Um, that's the best way. Never stay in your in your one spot and do comedy. If it's your town, or whatever. If you want to get good, then you need to go out as many places as possible. And if if someone's willing to take a chance on you like that, then then definitely do it. Um, I would still do it today if, if an established performer took me out you would okay yeah there's like a form of that in la where other like bigger name performers will help me out with spots or notes on my set um neil brennan's been very nice to me oh wow and like a like a father figure that i fear in in that type of way cool because he's so good at at what he does yeah i almost don't want him to ever watch my set (laughs) because they just know like oh yeah he would immediately rip this apart or know what i'm doing here he sees the mechanics of it all okay Um, but he's been someone that's been very nice to me and very uh supportive oh cool and and very helpfully uh critical okay yeah can we talk about this um i don't even know how i stumbled upon this one (laughs) but this burger king thing the what uh, yeah the what connected whopper is that what it was whopper connected or something right so uh <laughs> that is, i that i i'm usually got my pulse on the uh you know on that weird pop culture stuff i missed that one completely when this was when all this thing came out yeah. yeah the most hated commercial uh-huh. in the world yeah i've been doing this this type of work for the past uh two years just like massive or, or just like stunts that make people angry or get a get some attention <laughs> and uh this burger king thing was um this by the David Agency in Miami, and uh, they came to me with this idea that they wanted me to do, where basically it'd be a regular type of Burger King commercial, so you'd think, but the whole premise of the commercial is I'm activating, with my voice and the commercial, is activating every Google Home and Amazon Echo that's that's in people's homes. So when the commercial plays on TV, and if you have a Google Home, I think this ended up being... Uh, then that would go off and that would tell you all about the Whopper. It would open up the Whopper's Wikipedia page and give you a whole three-minute rundown of what the Whopper is. So the way it was, the idea was basically to get more ad time than the allotted 15 seconds. Yeah, 15 seconds. Yeah, 15 seconds is what you get. So the whole idea was like, how do we get more ad time with the same amount of money? Uh-huh. We make people do the work for us. Yeah. Uh, so that commercial was up for three hours. Um 
it made a lot of people angry in like the good way and like the, what you should do in the non-Kendall Jenner way. <laughs> it made people angry, and then I um, just love this. Google uh, deactivated my voice because Google didn't know that we were doing this. At least to my knowledge, they didn't know or didn't sign up when we when we did this commercial. Uh, so we kind of gave it to them after and was like, here's this thing we did. Hope you're cool with it. And then when it was up and they got the reaction it did, Google deactivated my voice from all devices. So I couldn't even get a Google Home and, and use my voice and be like, where's the nearest hospital? No way. Um, <laughs> and so then we – so it was up for three hours where they took it down. Then we re-recorded – my voice, so they edited in like a higher pitch version of my voice, or a lower pitch one, but they ended up using the higher one. Okay. And uh, and then put that back up, so then that one was re-triggering that it was on echoes, but it's just the higher pitch. And then they took that one down, and then we put the lower pitch one up, and that higher one. They just kept putting it up, and and then in the meantime, people were going into the Wikipedia page. Yes, that's another extra fun step that no one anticipated is people would go into the Wikipedia page because that's what it would open up. If we wanted to tell you more about the Whopper, you would go to the Wikipedia page. Wikipedia, anyone can edit anything. So it, people were putting things in, like there was toenails in it, there was like dead babies and all these ingredients in the Whopper, which only made the story bigger and really helped. And Burger King is actually very pleased with the, the outcome. Oh, I'm sure. It. You know? Yeah. I mean, so here we are talking about it. it today. Right? Yeah. And And every, like... Every tech agency or ad uh, website that picked it up was all it was all help, and it actually won. The commercial did a canned lion, which is like the commercial, the Oscars for commercials. Crazy! It won that creativity award this year. Was it triggered? Was it set up to trigger the? Because I have one of those uh, Alexa deal things. We at my shot house. both. You did. I think Amazon was adamantly against it. Um, but Google was wishy-washy about it. Um, that part, I wasn't a part of negotiating that part, so I, don't, I couldn't speak on that accurately. But um, Google was, like, the cool one with it, so they, we, we used that. But the whole day of the commercial, I was locked in a trailer um, with every type of Amazon Echo and Google Home, just teaching them my voice, making sure that this would work. Oh, wow, interesting. At the time that we finally shot. Yeah. Because we actually only had 40 minutes to shoot the commercial. We showed up to another set, because it was a big gamble to do the commercial, and they didn't want us, they didn't really want us to do it, basically, uh, at the time. They were shooting these other commercials that were these like documentary-style commercials where they're talking to people about the sandwich, and then... At the very end, they're like, okay, whatever, you can try your dumb idea. And we had like 40 minutes to shoot before everyone would hit overtime. Shot it in, in about 32 minutes, the entire thing. And, uh, yeah, it's the thing you see today. It's amazing. And you're in your Burger King uniform. and Yeah. Yeah. All that stuff. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Um, like I said, I, we have one of those uh, Alexa deals. And it's by it's close to the television. It's in the living room. Yeah. And there has been we've had it, I don't know, half a year now. And there's probably been three or four times where something just and it's not a commercial that's triggered it, but there has been something on whatever we're watching where they say something that sounds like Alexa. And it'll start and it'll and all up. of a sudden the little light lights up and it's like spinning and it'll go, uh, right. I don't understand that or it'll repeat back what it heard. It's 
very odd. Right. And then I'll go immediately go back. Like, what was that? Well, what just triggered it? And I'll rewind. Right. And like, so that was just like exploiting that idea. And mm-hmm. Just uh, bringing that up. Oh, I think it's genius. Yeah. I think it's absolute genius. Now, when I first asked you about that, you said that's what you've been doing for the last couple of years is doing things to that upset people sometimes. You said the goal is not to upset people. The goal is to interest people. I think with everything that I do, my goal in comedy is um, is to do something interesting first and then make it funny. Okay. If I had to boil down what it is, the best of my knowledge of if someone said, what is your voice, what is your style, it would be super interesting and you might hit funny. Okay. So, uh, yeah, before the Burger King thing, um, what have I done? I did uh, uh, the I, marathon so, one. Yeah, marathon was probably right before that. The idea was everyone likes bragging about how they run marathons. So how could you get those same bragging rights without actually having to run a full marathon? Yeah. So I watched the whole th- that thing. Oh, great! I, I love it. That's genius. Thank you for watching that. Yeah. So the idea was to cheat the LA marathon, which ends up being harder. <laughs> without spoiling the video, it ends up being harder than just actually running the race. Um, so it was this whole like elaborate pl- plan with a series of costume changes and computer chips that are in my feet to set off these timing mats that they have. Uh, so they did that one, and then right before that, I was living in an art installation. I watched that, a 30-minute thing on that. 30 minutes. You made it all the way through. I absolutely did. That's great. Yeah. Thank you for doing that. Um, so that the idea was to see everyone at that time was abusing crowdfunding especially my generation, things that you should just pay for if you wanted to make something creative. Like, I'm sure this podcast is all out of pocket for you. Um, People were abusing crowdfunding. Things you should just pay for, they were asking their friends and family to pay for. So the idea was, how do I abuse crowdfunding as much as possible? No, I like that you called it e-begging. E-begging. I don't know if, I've never heard that referred to as e-begging. I love that. Yeah, I can't remember if I coined that term or not. Let's say you did, because it's it's really good. Okay, let's just say, let's give me credit for everything. E-begging, I love it. And I came up with the plot uh, for Game of Thrones. (laughs) Just this last season, just so everyone knows. Um yeah, so then the idea was to, how much could I abuse crowdfunding? Could I call my regular day-to-day life performance art and get people to pay for that? Um, and what ended up happening is I got this like loft downtown in Los Angeles and had this, uh, basically, of my life in front of people for in an exhibit that was open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, for two months. And uh, I went. A I people people that don't know about this and are listening to this right now, let that soak in. I mean, you. This is legit. It's yeah, like twenty four hours a day. You were anything accessible. you're doing, like so. There's no doors on anything, so anyone was allowed to come in at any time. And even the the bathroom doesn't have a door on it, so people are watching me shower, go to the bathroom, you can watch me sleep. People did that. Um, anything I did in there, yeah, it was in front of people, and it started as like that joke, and then just through the two months of it, genuinely lost my mind a little bit. Or genuinely went, like, a little bit crazy. Really? Yeah, I don't know I don't know how you wouldn't. Just because you, you have no set schedule. People, It feels like people are constantly there. When there's no one there, it feels incredibly strange and, and lonely, and you're, you're constantly living on edge. That's, that someone you don't know is going to come into your life at any moment. And people would disrupt it. Um... Or, you know, people would just show up and start playing music or whatever they wanted to do. That was that was your schedule. So definitely lost my mind a little bit in there. I can't even I, 
Is there a longer version of what you did there? Like, is there more than what there, I, I could watch? I have watched? like the raw footage, but yeah. yeah. And I, I wanted that video originally to be like six minutes long, but it ended up being this 30-minute thing because I didn't know how to tell the full story. I wish it was longer. That's great to hear. Yeah. You're the first person to say that. Really? Oh. Well, I mean, it's just very hard to get people to watch an internet video that's longer than two minutes. Yeah. Yeah, it's I suppose. what the medium is built for is that attention span. Well, just the, pretend you're watching a movie and get over it. Right? <laughs> Jeez. It's, yeah. It's just there's so many things uh, that are in your peripheral yeah. when you're online and there's notifications popping up that it's very hard to lock yourself down. And there's that little bar at the bottom that lets you know exactly how long you need to sit here. <laughs> like, there's certain conversations that you wouldn't be in if you could know how long they were <laughs> ahead of time. <laughs> if you knew someone's like, yeah, we just got back from vacation, went up to Mississippi. And if you, <laughs> if you could see a red bar under their face that was like four and a half minutes, you'd be like, oh, absolutely not. Oh, my God. How do I skip ahead? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that, you have everything going against you on, on YouTube for anything that's longer than two minutes. Yeah. Well, I want to ask you, let me ask you some questions about that then. Did you start, like, were people showing up and not leaving or showing up every yeah. day? Um, yeah, there was definitely people that were showing up and not leaving that were, you know, it was a cool thing where people wanted to be a part of it. And, you know, I was at a real lost place in, in my life at the time and was, was open to any of it. It was another really weird thing that happened because the whole the idea was, like, making fun of performance art. Um, at that time, Shia LaBeouf just like completely ripped off a Marina Abramovich piece called The Artist is Present, where you sit across from someone like you and I are right now, and you say nothing, and you just look into their eyes. So my version was like, The Artist is a Present, this very like heavy-handed, self-serving thing, and I would just do the exercise with people where you just sit. And what happened w was incredibly strange, because you would literally do something that's called soul gazing that uh, it's in psychology where you can physically see people's pain and you can communicate to them non-verbally so what i started as making fun of was like immediately got sucked into and was like oh this is there's really something to this and people would open up to me and divulge all this information verbally because i was not saying anything okay i'd be sitting across from them for you know sometimes upwards of two hours and that makes people very uncomfortable, so they would try to just be like, uh, some weather we're having, how long you been in here? Trying to break the tension, and slowly those, those like, intimacy levels would peel off. They'd be like, so what's it like in here? And then they would start divulging information about themselves to see if they could get a reaction out of me, and they'd go deeper and deeper until they were telling me uh, very personal and, and very, very dark things that, you know, <laughs> I've definitely not prepared. Uh, prepared or adequately equipped with a psychology degree to unpack but right i would just do my best to listen to people i don't know what else to do i'm sure there's a more responsible way of, of <laughs> handling that but i would just listen to people and it was um it was a great lesson in just what a lot of people want and that's just someone to someone to listen to them it's very rare that we truly listen to people and not just try to cut them off with some token piece of advice or or some trope that we've heard before, like plenty fish in the sea or it gets better. Sometimes I, I do believe that everyone has the answers to everything that they need already inside them. And sometimes you just need someone, a blank face to, to bounce that off of, to talk it out and 
realize that you that you know what's what's best for you. Wow, that's very that's mm-hmm. a, that's so interesting. I um, I, if I remember correctly, I think I noticed at least twice you said something, uh, during the thirty minute thing I watched, um, about attention, the relationship of attention and loneliness. Mm-hmm. In that, um, attention equals love, at least in our current climate. Okay, yeah. Um, a way of getting likes or doing something that's successful mimics love. Mimics love. Mimics everyone loving you. Uh, I think it's always been that way. If someone, you know, becomes a movie star overnight or does something that's successful or even an athlete, then that attention that people want to, people like that, that energy, that vibration of someone that's, that's doing well. And people want to be around that, you know, not even for a bad reason, but just like, oh, everyone wants to be doing well in life. So people gravitate around you towards that, 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 um, that type of energy of like, I'm doing well, I'm doing everything I should be doing, I'm successful. And that type of attention to the person that is successful can mimic or trick you into thinking that that is love, that is intimacy. Yeah. And immediately when that goes away, that's when you start <laughs> losing your mind when that when the, when those people part and to no fault of those people but just you're not doing well and that was what attracted to you that's what that attracted them to you was your energy of doing well and the second you're not doing well those people fall off like the red rockets on a spaceship so um, that's that was the dangerous thing that I was learning of like this attention equals love okay or at least mimics love and there was a whole uh the whole the place where you were doing this there's kind yep. of a that hel- has its own story as well <laughs> yeah and have you i mean you could say a little bit about that for sh- definitely but i want to ask do you have any idea what's what happened to that space what's in there that now the, do you know so without a lie um and i hope this never ends up <laughs> in a deposition in a courtroom that is the one building in los angeles that i am not allowed in that I am—I know for fact uh, the cops would be called immediately <laughs> if I showed up. They, it could not have ended worse. So that's, first off, this was the only building that would let me do this. One, have uh, live in, a, in this space and have it open to the public 24-7. It's these lofts downtown that if you get off on this exit, you're like, oh, I've made a mistake. It's called the Fashion District, which is a very generous term for <laughs> what's going on there. Uh-huh. It's just like a very industrial, it's a very loud area. And these like these industrial lofts is where I was doing it, 2,000 2, square feet. And um, what happened is midway through living in the exhibit, the whole building was raided because they were using it as a front to launder money from Mexico. Uh, this whole cartel was uh, the guy oh, on the, the building. Oh, just a cartel on the building? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, just a cartel, you know, everyday <laughs> Airbnb situation you you deal with. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the guys were, like, shady from the beginning. Like, just to even let me do that, to agree to it, it was like, something's wrong with these guys for sure. Yeah. The guy was a very, like, sleazy guy, and he had, like, two bodyguards with him when I met with him. Like, um, they look like those twins on uh, Breaking Bad. Yeah. They're in, like, like shiny silver suits. Yeah. Skinhead. Uh, so that was the first meeting. And then... Eventually it became so. Uh, so they their whole building gets raided by the FBI, like they're smashing out windows below me. I'm on the third floor, and this was happening on the first floor. They raid the whole building. They find money in in the walls of some of the uh, the building, and um, after that happens, 
the raid, the guy gets um, he gets arrested. Obviously, he owns the building, and then he gets released on bail uh, three days later. And then immediately, he's like, he wants no attention around the building. And this is right when my exhibit started getting some media attention. More people knew about it, or maybe like a month in now, people were coming. And he's like, you need to shut this down. And I'm like, no, I'm going to continue to do this because the lease is going on. I'll maybe do like a scaled back version, tell people they can't just have a party here because people would just show up and they would just throw their birthday party there or something. Um, and then it ended with this whole like um, standoff with the cops where um, I had to kick everyone out because he was coming, the owner of the building was coming to basically um, yell at me. And then someone that was in my exhibit that I obviously didn't know that was just at one of these parties uh, punches the maintenance guy oh. of the building. Innocent guy, didn't have anything to do with it. He was just helping kick people out. And everyone's like, you can't do that. You're getting in the way of his art. And they punch him. He, The maintenance guy calls the owner. Now the owner comes down. who's already He's already threatened me at this point. Sure. Three days no, prior. No, he has another reason to be mad. Right. Three days prior, he said, um, if you keep doing what you're doing, um, I'm not going to call the cops. I'm going to call my guys, and you're not going to like what my guys do to you. A very direct threat (laughs) that he was going to physically harm me. So now it's the night that that guy gets punched, the maintenance guy. Now the owner's getting called, and he's like, he texts me, um, stay there, I'm bringing my guys. Uh. Yeah. At this time, uh, someone else has already called the police. And the police show up seconds right before he does. And they are like, do you mind if we if we start taking a look around? And the police go upstairs to look around. And just then, the owner of the building, the scary cartel guy, comes in with all of his guys. He, uh, We've tried to lock the door, but he's got keys to everything. Uh-huh. He comes in. He goes, I, I don't think I could swear on this podcast. but um, Yeah, you can. Uh, he says, motherfucker, what did I tell you? What did I tell you? He starts yelling at me, and he's coming in. I'm like, oh, shit. There's still people in the exhibit that, you know, this guy's coming to kill me. Cops are upstairs. They come rushing down. They put him in cuffs. They take him outside. (laughs) And uh, they essentially saved my life. Yeah. And um, cops come back in, and they're like, you know, I don't fully understand what you're doing in here. Right. But I would strongly suggest that you do not stay here tonight. Um, I'm sure you're aware of this guy. He was on the news. We raided his building. That you should um, that you should leave. And then we packed everything up that night and left. Yeah. And that was that was how I got out of the exhibit <laughs> under the worst circumstances possible. So I'm for sure not allowed at that building. Insane. What I just, I just I think I just have maybe one or two more questions about that. When you before it started, what were you telling people your idea was? Uh, my idea was just like, oh, people, uh, that I'm just gonna try to live off of crowdfunding. Was the short pitch of like, how long can I last? Because I had no food in there. It was only food that people brought me, is what I could eat. Um, and I didn't know like how many days I could make it in there if I could make rent. It was all people supporting me. So that was a short answer. Okay. A lot of people were familiar with the, the kind of work that I would do, and they kind of understood that I went into it as a joke and kind of making fun of crowdfunding. And then there was a whole separate batch of people that were just there for human connection or to be a part of something. 
Um, what was your biggest surprise of just how many people end up showing up or? I think it was honestly or the effect on you. It was the it was the effect on me. The fact that I wasn't immune to it. I thought I was stronger, or, and how it has like nothing to do with me. If anyone would have done that, they would have gotten the same response. Okay. As far as like, so the, a bunch of people were opening up to me and, and telling me very intimate things about whether it's suicide or abortions or um, sexual assault that's happened to them, things that you would only tell like your best friend, right? Um, and it, to no credit to me, they would have said that to anyone that would take the time to just listen yeah. to them. That was the biggest surprise because if you go into something as a joke and then people are telling you stuff that is so clearly not a joke. No. Um, and then I have footage of all that, but I chose not to include that in the documentary because I don't feel like those people were sharing it for anyone uh, but me. Yeah. It, it felt wrong. In the ethics of filmmaking, that felt wrong sure. to share that. Sure. I mean, you get the point across just like you tell me I'm just here. saying yeah. like what happened. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was – it's some – compelling footage but it was very tempting but it, it didn't feel right it felt gross to use that wow now you said earlier you also said earlier that there's some stuff you've done that's going to come out later any can you give this yeah anything i did um a uh netflix another netflix movie uh, okay for happy madison it's adam sandler's company oh wow um which i think that movie should be coming out later this year they don't tell you anything you shoot something and then um, we actually shot that in, in Boston, which is very fun. That's coming out later. Uh, I'm on an episode of Ryan Hansen Solves Crime on television. Uh, it's a new show that's coming out. And, yeah, there's a couple of other things that I can't talk about because they haven't, like, fully happened yet. I feel, I, I don't know. People make the mistake of talking about things and then they get recast and something. Oh, yeah. Or oh, no. I, yeah, don't say anything. Or, or never comes out. I hear you. And I'm just the type of person, like, unless it's out, and, like, I didn't, a lot of people I didn't tell I had, like, even that exhibit until it was, like, done and already edited together. Oh, okay. But, yeah, there's some, there's some um, really cool things happening. And just as on, like, a personal note, like, a really cool career thing happened for me uh, two weeks ago. Uh, where um, Conan hired oh, yeah. me and my friend Chris Red. Yeah, I saw a bit of this. The Conan yeah. 360. Uh, it was such a surreal thing that I was. I only bring it up because I like it just hit me today. It just like processed today. I'm like, what a cool thing I got to do. What a job I totally did not deserve. And so many other people would have been better at that <laughs> somehow. Through just the luck of everything, and and JP who um, books all the comedians on Conan, JP Buck um, took a chance on me and and really helped me out, and got me one of the coolest jobs I've ever had, ever. And that was working for Conan and just you know hosting the pre-show with him. And it was at Comic Con. Yeah, it was at Comic Con. He took his show to Comic Con. He's the third year, and then this year they decided. Um, with Blay to um, host like a, a pre-show, all that's all in like 360 VR, and um, they hired my friend Chris Red and I, who do a show out in LA together, to to host this thing. And um, Conan would come up there every day with us and do the opening of the show, which is just riffing with with Conan for uh, 20 or 30 minutes at the top of the show, which was so cool and so scary because he's so. He's so much better at comedy than I am, <laughs> and he's so fast. And to just keep up and, and improvise with him was, yeah, 
so surreal. Cause like, that's why that's how I found out about comedy was through Conan. Really? That was the first like representation. I think I saw Chris Rock first host the MTV Movie Awards, but then Conan was the first of like, oh, I like that and I want to do that. Um, and then would uh, secretly record his show every night. You, I watched the so you got to tell him that story. Yeah, that's I got so to tell cool. Him that very weird story. Yeah, and um, yeah, it was this very weird like full circle moment. I don't even know what to do with myself now. I've just been like I don't know, flying high the past two weeks. Have you done Have you done a stand up set on his show? No, putting together a set now. Though. Okay. Yeah, which is um, really exciting. Well, that, that was the first time I ever got to to meet him. Okay. Well, you think this is you'd think this is going to open the door and make that a yeah poss- better possibility. Honestly, at this point, I would rather have what I did than a set on that show. Yeah. Um, just to to meet him and and be able to do comedy with him because even the stand up you're just like he throws to you. Yeah, good point. You do your thing and you leave, and it's at the end of the show. Um, still a goal and and still something I hope to do later this year, but um, but I that's something I didn't even know I wanted until I was already got the job. I was like, this is so cool. Yeah, it's beyond what what I ever expected. And um, how many days did they use you out there? Five days. We were out there for like seven, two days of, of like prep. And Conan was just supposed to come up the first day and be like, hey, this is a real thing that not two high school students are doing on the roof. <laughs> and and just give us like a quick promo. Yeah. But then um, his staff told us that he actually enjoyed coming up there every day. So he came up there every single day before his show to do the opening with us, which is, I mean, beyond cool. Yeah. Is Comic-Con a thing that you like, even if it wasn't this? No. No? Not your deal? Not. I mean, I've hosted a show at a comic book store in L.A. for the past five years, so I can't oh, that's, help but... What is that called? This show is your show? Yeah. Yeah, at Meltdown. And, yeah, so I was, you know, didn't really grow up on comics, but was around a lot of comics for the past five years in, in the comic book world. But, no, I, I went to the convention center floor at Comic-Con for, like, 30 minutes and mm-hmm. was like, I'm done. Okay. I'm done. No, I never got into, like, superheroes and stuff. I was immediately into movies and, and just comedy. Yeah. If there was, like, a convention for that. Montreal, I was like that. I was nerding out over, all these, like, comedians I saw growing yeah, up. I need, I need to go as a fan of comedy. I need to get to it that is, just for It is. It's someday. worth it. A lot of festivals, I would say, you know, don't don't really waste time. Wait till it comes to your town. But Montreal is one of those things is even as a comedy fan, it's – Incredible! I I got to go again this year as not a new face, as just just doing a few shows, which means I got to see a lot of more a lot more stuff. Because as a new face, what they don't give you the heads up about is like, yeah, you have your high pressure set that you do on Wednesday, your six minutes, and then your whole days are filled with if you're doing it right, meetings with all these networks and agencies and digital companies that will probably go belly up in 30 minutes. Yeah. But uh, you're very much meeting the entire industry. So you're constantly on. You're not sleeping. You have to go to the parties every night because then you're, like, solidifying these relationships. I sold a show in Montreal, so that took a huge part of my trip and time is, like, putting together that and prepping for that pitch. So it's very much a work thing when you're a new face. Okay. at least if you want to do it right and make the most of that situation. Um, and there's a lot of cynical older comics that say Montreal isn't what it used to be. And in, in that it, it used to go there and you could just sell a show. 
Um, but it is still very much like that. It's okay. still an incredible opportunity that if you ever get the chance to audition for it, definitely do it. And if you fail your fifth audition, definitely do a sixth one. It's <laughs> well worth it. Okay. Okay. I'm looking at the time here. Um, it's flying by. I... I there are uh, I mean we haven't even I, I have a feeling that most when you do these things most times people delve in right away from your childhood which we haven't even really talked about yeah. which is absolutely fascinating I don't know if I totally fucked up by not going there <laughs> no. now we're almost out of time but there's uh, there's just so many things you need to come back next year and we can do this again um, I just want to say that, like from uh, just try to uh, just try to cover that a l- real quickly here like I said I came to the show tonight or last night. And you talk about your childhood, your, I mean, it's, it's written about, it's out there. There were, you were on a bus with mm-hmm. your family. There's a point, and I'm not, I'm not going to spoil it, but when you talk about um, going from Florida to California, yeah. uh, my jaw dropped when you gave one of the details of your background. I literally was sitting back there and I went, Which oh. one? You can spoil it. Uh, okay. When you said you hadn't seen your dad in 15, 15 years, years yeah. at that point. Yeah. I, my jaw dropped. Insane, right? Yeah. Like one phone call. You know, there's definitely more steps to it. I'm sure it was a long time coming, but when you're eight years old, it just is like, eh, dad comes by every once in a while, they're divorced, and then to be across the country, and then, you know, just have one phone call. I'm a, uh, I'm not, divorced with kids and now remarried. Kids. Yeah. Okay. And I can't even, I can't, can't right now, that, right? I live seven minutes away from my ex-wife and my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't imagine being a half an hour away. Couldn't imagine being an hour right. away. I, I just don't. I, I, and, ah. and to like his defense too, she also made it very hard for him to reach out, even saying like "don't reach out," you know, or sending packages back that he would send. Mm-hmm. You know, he would send much. He send like a birthday package, and um, she would like handwrite letters from us kids. I did quotes for the podcast, yeah, listeners, um, and like notes saying that us kids didn't want to see him. So it's not just on him for sure. 15 years, but it still is something that I'm like, I don't know how you don't just pack up your life and go see not just one, but like five human beings that you made. Yeah, I can't yeah. even. So, yeah, it's still something I'm I'm dealing with. And if you notice, like, there is, like, that silence in the crowd, that part. It's very hard to make this stuff funny, and I haven't figured it out yet. I was on my drive over here today. I was thinking, is there... You know, what I experienced last night seeing that show, it was sort of like a one-hour little, or not, it was an hour. I didn't see an hour. I don't know how long you did. Yeah. I got here at 9, and you, it was just short it's of about 50 minutes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, I might have missed, like, the first two minutes, probably. Yeah. Anyway, um, like, I just watched a biography, basically, for f- 50 minutes. And yeah. I was thinking on my drive over here today about things we were going to talk about and how I, I was thinking, is there, you could write a book. If I could you, uh, if I could if I connected with that medium at all. I'm severely dyslexic. Okay. So I didn't grow up um, writing, uh, reading books, and writing is like, obviously something I've struggled with. Sure. Um, dyslexic and dysgraphic. It's like the worst thing you could have. If you got an email from me, you would think that English was my third language. <laughs> it's that severe. So uh, stand up and figuring out a way to put that into stand up would be my way of getting it out okay as a special or even as a i could see it as a show or a movie oh hell yeah but yeah so i people have told me that before but i'm like sure books i have zero interest in and 
I guess, yeah. I mean, when I say that, it's not like, oh, you know, you could have put this out of the book and then just moved on. I mean, I'm saying, like, this is like a whole, the book. Yeah. And then the TV show is based on the book. And then you got stand-up that, you know, expands it. Right. Just because it's so fascinating and we just... Yeah, I haven't figured out the right way to uh, release it or even talk about it. I'm having a lot of trouble with these stories because there is some things that do make your jaw drop if you know if you've had a, a pretty regular life it sometimes makes people a little uncomfortable to hear sure about. there's a part where you were like all right crowd stay with me here that's the the hardest part of this hour is there's a section where i talk about uh how we had to eat from the trash growing up and to me that's funny it's funny because that level of like human desperation and like the main event of what happens in that story but what comes up for people is like oh god gross and i feel bad for him that's technically child abuse if child services ever found out about that you would get your kids taken away so i as the recording of this podcast to date have not figured out how to make that funny yet Hmm. but i do believe in it and want to make it work but close to cutting it okay really it's just it's been so frustrating to work on and Hmm. because my my only job is not to you know write a great book up here my my job is to be funny that's it yeah if you do that first then you can do all your self-aggrandizing ego things as far as like i built a show and i connected and made people feel yeah like, well okay let me let me just say that uh i would if you know my vote is to keep to keep it in keep okay. working on it because you do do a good job of i mean there's a there's a whole point behind it mm-hmm. i you know you uh like that isn't the whole point of what you were talking about, you know. You're right. Kind of, it's not like this whole like pity party of exactly. like look what I had to do. Exactly. Yeah. So. I just wish they saw it as I saw it as something sure. funny, and that's just on me to figure out how to translate it, sure, or get enough distance from it where you can accurately commentate on it. I think to a uh, uh, something else I saw that uh, you you did that is obviously. Uh, Somewhat connected was uh, when they had the when you did Last Comic Standing, yeah. and there was a little thing you did with your mom, yeah, and telling a story about how to doing like guerrilla garage yard sales yeah. in front of rich people. Pop up yard sales, <laughs> yes, yeah, so we didn't really have a home growing up. Uh, family yard sales was the business because you don't like need to have a job to do that. But we didn't have a yard to have a yard sale, so we would just show up and do yard sales on other people's yards without their permission amazing you just wake up early enough and <laughs> and just run the clock out as soon as they find out then then you you move on and you pack up that's a very real thing we did <laughs> how we ate yeah oh see i'm laughing yeah see <laughs> <laughs> see it's possible exactly it's possible uh yeah i'm not gonna take up any much more of your time here um this was fantastic i i hope we can do this again because i got a, a billion more questions yeah uh, look forward to whatever you're doing next that you couldn't give us details on. I'm going to keep an right. eye out for it. It won't be on CISO. It won't be on CISO. It might. It might be. If you get if you reload the error 404 page of CISO, <laughs> you might see some very depressing stories I haven't figured out how to make funny yet. Um, thank you for having me on your 100. 100- 260 episode. Yes. And you're okay. here. Uh, we dropped this. To, you know, people can hear this today. So definitely come out and see Moses through Saturday. Two shows Saturday. Yeah. 8 o'clock tonight and then Friday. 8, 8 and 10.30. 10 Saturday 8 and 10.30. That's it. Cool. Thank you. All right.
Thank you so much. Wow.